Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to Dicta, a podcast about the Supreme Court, the U.S. Constitution, and most importantly, our relationship with both as American citizens. As always, please feel free to call me Ian. With me is... Casey. And Casey, what conundrum and case are we dealing with today? We're dealing with a conundrum that doesn't even matter anymore, and it's called Bush v. Gore. Bush v. Gore. So, Casey, we're dealing yes. with Bush v. Gore. That's uh, right. Podcast weeks in the making for us. What 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 amendment and laws are we dealing with this week? It's the Fourteenth Amendment again, and specifically Section One of the Fourteenth Amendment, and really kind of just one line out of Section One. It's the last line. And it's the last sentence that says, no state shall make or enforce any laws which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, and this is the one, nor deny any person within its jurisdiction equal protection of the laws. So we're dealing with the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause saying that everyone... The United States has to be afforded equal protection of the law. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly what we're talking about. Equal protection is basically it's like a like a two step analysis that the court will do, right? It to to one ask did the government like use a classification when it was unequally applying the laws right does that make sense yeah 14th amendment uh following the the civil war or in the midst of the civil war essentially codified and uh, made it a constitutional right that everyone has to have equal protection of the law is i think i think that embodies what you were saying and but it also goes a little further than that though because the government can make certain classifications and it can treat people unequally. It just has to have good reasons. And depending on how those classifications were made, the court will ask for, um, you know, like a really compelling reason to, uh, for why they made that classification. Or they might just say that, do you have, a rational basis for coming up with this classification. Right. And what you're referring to are the levels of scrutiny, that being strict scrutiny, intermediate scrutiny, rational basis. Um, I guess the, I, I would say for me, the quintessential law school examples are strict scrutiny would be anything that is divis- divided in race. Um, that it has to be sh- uh, the law has to be strictly construed and and remarkably narrowly tailored and serve an absolute um, essential government function, which there are very limited reasons why any law would be um, upheld if it discriminates or disparately treats individuals based on race. Intermediate scrutiny, I think the most uh, prevalent one from my from my memory is essentially sex if a law, treats men and women differently, that there's an intermediate scrutiny to that and that has to serve a legitimate governmental purpose. Um, and then the rational basis 
is typically to me associated with age. It just needs to be a reasonable uh, government action for uh, for what was for you know a reasonable government purpose essentially, which you know I'm sure there are more yeah. exact definitions to those levels of scrutiny and how it applies. But I think that would be um, I, I think you made the good point that there are are areas where there can be disparate application of the law or laws that uh, inherently discriminate based on some, some innate characteristic of the individuals being uh, governed. Yeah, exactly. So, so we're talking about for Bush v. Gore, the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause specifically. That's what they say. Yeah. Uh, that's what they say. And then um, anything else you think? Um, that's the amendment of the week. There's a lot of laws in this case. The Supreme Court in its per curiam decision essentially evaded though that legal analysis and just went to this political philosophy um, decision. Yeah, it is some really uncharted territory for the court. Though this is Casey's case, the only <laughs> thing I'm going to add additionally to this section, which are beyond what I've already added to, is that there's a lot of Florida statutes involved in this case. So when we get to discussion, I'm going to bring up some of those. Okay, well, I can run through some of those. No, I'm not. I don't. That's, you know, this, I'm not going to make you do that. Okay. Which, well, there's, there are two really important things I think that we should talk about. I think Article 2, Section 1, which gives, I'll just quote it. Each of the state, Constitution we're talking uh, about. Of the Constitution. Yes. Article 2, Section 1. Uh, each state shall appoint in such a manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors. Equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in Congress, but no senator, representative, or person holding an office or trust or profit under the U.S. shall be appointed an elector. So this is saying that the state legislature has the power to select electors in such a manner as it chooses. Okay, so that's that's part, that's a body. That's a piece of the Constitution. Right. And uh, there's Article some debate two, over what section legislature one. means. And then what, what was the the other U.S. code section you want to uh, read? Oh, yeah. There's a – so section five of Title Three, so 3 U.S.C. section five is the safe harbor provision that they bring up. And this essentially says that if a state has – certified their slate of electors and they've picked them they can um i'm not exactly sure of like what the what the process is but if they've already selected and certified their electors um within six days before the electoral college meets then congress will accept them and if they miss that date if they go past if they so there's six days before the, the electors meet. If they go, uh, if they run over that date, then Congress may like settle a dispute for the state. And this comes out of like the um, like the Rutherford B. Hayes election. It's like 1877 or something like that, where there was a bunch of states who had disputes about um, what 
what slate of electors was going to go and cast their votes for the state. And Congress had to decide. And they did so by creating like a 15 member commission um, with like five members of each house and then some uh, Supreme Court justices, I think. And a couple, I can't, I think it's maybe, maybe it was five, five from the, from the court. And then they decided how to, how to, like what slate of electors was actually going to be casting their vote for president. And that works in relation to the previous uh, portion of the constitution. This is a piece of uh, federal legislation, which is essentially, I'm just echoing what you said is that if there are disputes between um, state electors, that being if someone says, oh, I was meant to be here to cast a vote for the president, or if another person says, I don't know, it's me, I, I get to cast a vote, right. that the safe harbor is, is providing a deadline, which I, I'm not going to go into, but it's providing a deadline saying that, look, if the state had protocols prior to the day of the election, those protocols um, pursuant to the state's directives will control these disputes. And right. then if there is not, essentially, uh, based on you know, what you're saying, is that it could eventually go to the federal Congress to determine and, uh, and decide who is going to be the, the electorates of that, of that state. Right. So we're dealing with, equal but notably, it makes notably it makes room for judicial review in in that section. Right. <laughs> Which we'll get to later. <laughs> Which we'll get to later. Okay. So we got the Fourteenth Amendment, equal protection. We got the Constitution saying that the states' legislature gets to decide who are the presidential electors. And then we have this piece of federal legislation essentially saying that the state gets to decide how they handle disputes as to those electors. Right. Okay. And then there's a slew of Florida statutes. One is about protests. One is about contests. And it's essentially just a protest is what you do if you want to argue the number of votes before certification happens and a contest is when you want to argue the total number of votes after certification happens. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Okay, Casey. So what are the facts and holding of this case? Oh boy. Okay. So uh, Bush v. Gore, the, the seminal case that uh, ushered us into the new millennium. So, <laughs> so this is like a, I'm going to do like a long run up, right? So election night is happening and the news calls it for Gore, right? First they start calling it for Gore. Calls, and, calls what for Gore? Calls the election. Right. And the, the, state, the state of Florida. Right, the state of Florida. They called their mommies, Ian. Or did, of course, they called well, the election for Gore. Well, I'm saying for You know, there's a context here. I think everyone well, knows I don't we're talking about an I'm election. I'm just saying if you just say they call it for Gore, call what for Gore? They, we're, we're, we have to be specific. This is a podcast. They call <laughs> We need to be razor Florida, sharp here. 
Florida, they say the race in Florida is for Gore. The media says that. The lying media. The lying fake news said that Gore was projected to win the state of Florida. And with it, all 25 of its electors, because it's a winner-take-all state. See how great that is? That specific, reasonable statement, rather than just... (laughs) They called it for Gore. Lucy Goosey. Okay, all right, I'll tighten up. I'll tighten up. Yeah. Then they retracted it. I'm not going to bite on that. (laughs) (laughs) The news then retracts their previous call, which was announcing that Gore was going to win the state. They retract that. And then that hangs in the air, and then no one really knows who's winning. And then later in the night... By the time everyone wakes up in the morning, the news is that Bush had actually won the state. But then they retract it and they say it's too close to call, which is like already such a mess. Right. So like first this guy wins it. Oh, then we made a mistake. Okay, well, actually, it was this guy who made it. Uh, Well, it's a little too close to call now. And then it comes to light that it's way too close. Right. It's like within half a percent. Which if the. Election is within half a percent in Florida. It automatically kicks off to a mandatory machine recount. And so they do that, right? They started doing machine recounts. And I think after the first machine recount, or after like the statewide machine recount, it was within, the margin was 1,784 votes, right? So I know that. Prior did the machine to, recount get it down pr- further than that? Prior to the m- 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 prior to the machine recount, the margin of votes for Governor Bush was seventeen hundred and eighty-four. So one thousand seven hundred and eighty-four votes was how many more Governor Bush had than Vice President Gore at the conclusion of the initial count, because as you said, that was less than. Uh, one half of a percent uh, automatic recount was uh, held and that reduced the margin further. So that meant the margin of victory was below that 1784 number. The right. It was down to like amount, 300 something, right? I, I, th- I've seen different numbers. Um, I don't, I don't, I could not find a reliable source that I trusted um, that showed the, final number after that initial machine recount so but know that bush had initially won florida of on 1784 votes and then after an automatic machine recount that was reduced to a number lower than that right so like razor thin margin yeah like preposterously thin when you think about it so during during this count, during the recount, Gore is like Gore's legal team, really, um, on behalf of Albert Gore, is protesting. Right? And they really specifically protest in four counties Miami Dade, Broward, Volusia, and Palm Beach. And this is when you're, you're protesting the, the total votes, right? You're saying that they're either not counting legal votes. Or well, no, yeah, no, because <laughs> the protest is you're saying that there was an error in the tabulation, right? And that and part of that error was that they weren't counting 
ballots that had a hanging chad, which would have been a legal vote. It didn't get counted. It was counted as an undervote. And so they started manually recounting. Okay, that's sure. I feel like I hear a slight tone in your voice. Um, and <laughs> Am I t- not trying so to be I, sassy? Well, I feel like you are. And I would just say for our listeners, protest, um, he's not going out picketing the street, though that's going on. There, there's a specific provision in the Florida statute that's defined as a protest, and it's it's a it's a court challenge. It's like essentially a lawsuit that you're you're presenting to court, challenging as Casey said the whether legal votes were counted. Though I would say a little different, but that's either here nor there. Or they weren't counting. Or they they're either not counting votes, or they're counting votes they shouldn't be counting. Again, I I I have a difference of opinion. We'll save that for the discussion. Okay, I, we can, I'm, we I'm can look at the, talk, we can look at the statutes ta- later. I'm not going to talk for the rest of this background. So, <laughs> I'm muting myself, and you 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 provide the rest of the background, and then once you're ready, you say, "Let's go to discussion." All right. So he's protesting. Uh, they do manual recounts, and they can't get the recounts done within the one week time frame that they're supposed to get them done in by statute. And so um, so the deadline comes and they take it to court. I think I think it's Gore who uh, who brings the action. And the circuit court says that they can like they have the numbers, they'll take that count, but these counties will be allowed to amend their count later. And then the state secretary um, has to create some criteria for amending the filings. So these counties will have to say that they're amending the filings based on whatever criteria that she creates. Um, this later deadline comes, these uh, counties try to give their votes to Secretary Harris, State Secretary Harris, who created these guidelines and then she denies every single one of them and says, nope, I'm not going to take any of these counts. All these manual recounts uh, don't count because you went over the deadline. And she certifies the vote for George Bush. So once it's certified, Gore then contests the election. The Florida Supreme Court ends up enjoining the certification of the uh, of the votes. And they send it. Uh, they send it back down and say continue the recount and include the votes that were found for Gore, which would make it an even uh, thinner margin. And then, basically, right after that opinion came out, uh, George Bush um, appeals that, or he asked for a stay from uh, the Supreme Court. They offer a stay because they say that there's irreparable harm that'll be done by counting every vote, which the dissent is like, how, how is, how is there going to be irreparable harm done by counting every vote? And they say, well, it's, it's only going to be irreparable if they count illegal votes, which even that doesn't really make sense. Um, And then it's the whole recounts on hold for three days until this case goes to oral arguments, and then within like 24 hours, they put out this opinion. 
Now we can discuss. Okay. Oh, I hate you. Thank you for that uh, wonderful uh, Whatever, you hated it. Of that. No, it was good. So for me, I so desperately want to say one, I think as you pointed out earlier, this case doesn't matter anymore. That President Bush was was uh, um, sworn in as president. Gore dropped his legal challenges, um, and history is set. Um, and I really wanted to read this case and be like, you know what? Uh, one not only does it not matter because it's you know, history, but that you know I wanted to find the reason to be at least, if not convincing, to be cogent and and acceptable um and i really was trying to do that <laughs> i was trying so hard i went even <laughs> to the concurrence i was like oh well, i like this because they're discussing the the nuances of florida legislature and the the decisions and then i was um re so and i'll get to my reapportionment act of 1929 which i think could Potentially the ultimate consequence. Well, not the ultimate consequence, but the body of work that this case discussed, I think will be curious. But indeed. So I'm reading this case for the sixth, seventh, or eighth time, and I I I, I fixate on the Supreme Court's per curiam decision where they talk about um the Which first of all, why is it per curiam? I think it's because no particular justice wants to own this. I think there was a lot of not deals being done because I, I I don't want to cast aspersion on any of the justices at the time, but I think there was this was a political decision by its very nature. If it had gone the other way, it would it, it, it's it's this is this is the perfect marriage of government and politics. This decision because um, uh, it involves who's deciding it and what is being decided. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess that's probably why it's the procurium meaning that no, it's not like it's 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 rendered in the court's name rather than any single justice. Um, yeah, because it's not like the court speaking with one voice. I mean, there's dissents, concurrences. Um, but so. So uh, I apologize, but so I'm reading the uh, per curiam decision, yes. and I, uh, I I keep reading the uh, the idea of um, the the court the Supreme Court takes issue with the Florida Supreme Court's decision, and I'll just read it here. The Florida uh, court wanted to count. Undervotes. That means when the ballots would go through the machine, it would say no, no presidential vote registered. The Florida Supreme Court directed that any ballot that was under uh, undercounted, meaning not counted, that there was no registered vote that ballot that that ballot to be examined by hand, and that if it could be determined that um, it was a legal vote, it should be counted. The Florida Supreme Court defined legal vote as one in which there is a clear indication of the intent of the voter. And I'm like, 
well, I wonder how I've, I've, I've the eighth or ninth time I've read this case. I'm like, well, certainly <laughs> that phrase is 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 something that is uh is not a whole invention of the Florida Supreme Court. And then as I'm reading it, I see, oh, whoa, wait a minute, that quote has single quotation marks around it, meaning they're quoting a quote, um, they being the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court of the United States of America, in their procuring decision, writes a legal vote as determined by the Supreme Court. Uh, that Supreme Court that I've just read is referring to the Florida Supreme Court is one in which there is, and here's a quote within the quote, a clear indication of the intent of the voter. So the Supreme Court is quoting the Florida Supreme Court, who is quoting somebody. But as most good legal citators know, that if you're quoting a quote, you should indicate that that subsequent source. They don't do that. So I go, hmm, what, where could this, uh, origin come from? Do you know where it's from, Casey? I don't. Which this is this is where I've decided that I cannot subscribe in any estimation to this case and why this case <laughs> is wrong. <laughs> is the Florida Supreme Court was quoting Florida statute? Florida statute said no vote shall be declared invalid or void if there's a clear indication of the intent of the voters as determined by the canvassing board. So the concurrence who I want to agree with where he's like, well, the Florida Supreme Court was going beyond the legislature. You have to interpret the law as it is. The Florida Supreme Court was not only interpreting the legislature as it was supposed to do, because it's, but it was, it, it wasn't <laughs> literally quoting. It wasn't deviating from what the legislature directed the canvassing board to do. So not only was there not really discretionary abuse by the Florida Supreme Court in in the concurrence, which I wanted to align myself with, where it's all this is these legal technicalities. Because look, there's the only thing we can control is the process. Um, so if the process is abused or deviated from too much, I was going to say, you know, what? look, I, I, I think ultimately it was a horrible decision and the worst president besides the first 15 in U.S. history was elected. And, uh, and I, 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 I find <laughs> President Bush to be nothing but a repugnant failed politician that allowed the greatest financial crisis, the largest uh, act of terror and invaded a sovereign nation and committed various war crimes and violated the U.S. Constitution protections. Um, yeah, but he handed out candy once, and he yeah. did paintings. Um, I did not want that to impact my belief that this decision... I was trying so hard to say this decision was good. And then I see that the Florida Supreme Court didn't even invent that standard. The 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 Florida legislature did, and the in the Supreme Court. And I think this goes into what just occurred in a recent decision where uh, Justice Sotomayor notates or Kagan. I apologize, I forget which which uh, justice wrote the um, dissent in the recent school prayer case where they noted the majority is um, presenting. Facts not as they truly are. Oh, yeah. Changes the outcome in what you understand. This gentleman was not quietly praying on the sideline after 
a game or when people could be doing anything. He was, you know what we call that in the common parlance? Lying. Yeah, and here they make it seem like the Florida Supreme Court created this crazy, crazy uh, holding that we had to look for the intent, and then they go into how that's an equal protection violation because how you know different d- disparate different counties were applying that standard differently and how to do it. Though I think that we get to we can get to that argument later, which is absurd because it's not an equal protection violation, but that they 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 hide the fact that because. They are hearing to state state uh, procedures when they do that, I, I, they, and uh, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you provide your points in in one moment, Casey. I apologize for commandeering this. I could part. listen. I could listen to you forever. But then I think this is this is the absurdity of the conservative justice mindset in the sense that there is. No internal logic. I think the, the the liberal justice will likely fail from the same thing, um, and my bias towards them is is clouding it to an extent. But is that it's not? It, 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 I think the 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 meta the uh, the simile or metaphor that best assumes that is that the conservative justice. The conservative justice of the court finds that this court directive to say you're going to hand count these votes, there's unequal protection of the law. The, uh, some of Which those is- justices have um, the idea that they're saying that this is an unequal protection violation, yet there's now potential debate as to whether a state that provides marriage licenses and would deny um, gay couples the ability to marry, that that is not an unequal protection violation. Dude, that's like one of my biggest, one of my biggest beefs is, is like, the, so Rain, like Rainquist, <laughs> like says, you're like, oh, this is, you know, like he's, he's in this procurement. He says that like, oh, this is you know, like, this is uh this is an equal protection violation. But he's the dude who wrote in that memo that he wanted Plessy v. Ferguson to stand and that separate but equal should be reaffirmed. How can you say that that was is okay but but this isn't. This is, you know, like it's so obviously it's so obviously he's just throwing he's trying his best to throw an election to his favorite candidate. And, and if he really like believed in this, if the court really believed in this, why do they state that this shouldn't be used as precedent? Our reasoning is so narrow and so razor sharp on this one that it's only going to work for this specific case. And and you shouldn't really read into this with any other type of presidential, eh, you know, election dispute. And but also for which this means decision. it's which is saying that like don't treat this as precedent. Don't in a, in a future case like don't. Don't even look at this one. It also, for me, it essentially is saying that any government function that allows discretion is de facto unequal protection of law. And what I mean by that is their concern here when the Florida Supreme Court – well, their, their made-up concern, which is I – don't, I don't buy that as an actual concern, is that – when the Florida Supreme Court said we have to count these by hand, um, 
counties were handling that intent of the voter differently. There were some with more lenient standards, others with uh, more stringent standards, right. and that they the Supreme Court essentially was wanting a more exact definition for that because a vote in one county may be counted as a valid vote, and a, in and but if that same vote was presented to a different county, it may not be. And then also further narrowing it down that those when it goes to within a county itself, if different individuals were looking at different ballots, that they may have a uh, a different outcome. Right. But for me, that what what if we didn't have computers and like there was just punch ballads and like we couldn't or people just wrote it down and like sometimes the person reading reading it looking at the ballot couldn't really tell right and then and that like and that's why you have multiple people there and that you it's 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 a functional it's a it's a functional imperfection to the extent that I have no like like and the, when the ballots were run through the machine, there's no doubt, and I, I, this is not conspiratorial that the the exact count that the machine is getting is likely not exactly correct. I don't think anyone who would say no, it's 100 percent guaranteed is preposterous, including the 2020 election. But right. the idea is that that it's unlikely that if there's a large difference between the um, candidates, meaning that if the machine is counting a victory of tens of thousands of votes, that it's likely it did not commit tens of thousands of mistakes. Here, I think it's quite possible when you have a machine uh, de- uh, determine that there are under 1,700 votes, or I should say under 1,784 votes separating it, that there could be 1700 errors when you're going through four million over four million ballots <laughs> yeah and then also that the machine also indicated these ballots were under votes meaning that we, the machine itself could not count them which pursuant to that florida uh statute your favorite quote yeah should indicate that as soon as the those ballots were indicated to be no vote, that those ballots should have been reviewed by the canvassing board. And if there was a clear indication of the intent of the voter, it should be um, counted as a valid vote. And then this is where, I guess, for Well, that's me, a part that in, in order to do that, one of the candidates had to protest. So that was that was like Gore protesting, right. saying like, oh, the machine isn't counting these ones. And which is... I don't. I don't understand why. Like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing, but it's just like, why does a if the device you're using to count votes is why are they doing that on their own? Right. That why do you have to protest? That, right. That it's reflecting no vote here because like, we're just relying on the output of the machine for some reason. We're we're saying that that <laughs> that machine is somehow infallible. But again, again, I I I I I I. I think the difference here, and this is why I don't wholly reject the idea that specific circumstances have to be at play, is that this is under 2,000 votes. I 
I don't know the statistics on it. I don't know the margin it's, of error. It's in, it was inside the margin of error. Right. That was supposed to trigger an automatic recount, which then indicated that the votes were even closer. Right. Where, again, I and I, I'm hes- I, I guess I hesitate because I see pal- parallels to the 2020 election where you're saying, how can we rely on these machines? I, I am I am there was even more parallels like with the little the Brooks Brothers riot where they were yelling stop stop stealing the election right yeah and then and then we had an insurrection um, <laughs> but and to me I'm not necessary I'm I'm questioning why we are so adherent to the machines but I understand that it is a reality and that I have no doubt that the machines were functioning as good as they were and that if the margin was so much larger that i don't i think it would have been a silly thing to challenge and i would i would presume that you know the the election was correctly decided i think my i have like one of my points that i that like i just don't understand and it piggybacks off of this and run with like, us run with us this like adherence to uh like the machine right is that the court i think is like is fine with the machine not counting legal votes and they like that's just kind of ah, whatever you know like three percent of all floridians votes can just be you know tossed aside their legal votes and like the machine just didn't count them for whatever reason and that's fine but as soon as you start doing a manual recount and we start counting some of these, and the standards aren't completely uniform like the machine. Whoa, 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 whoa! Hold it up. That's a huge equal protection violation. And then any interpretation by the court to try to, uh, you know, like remedy this situation is just totally out of bounds. And you know, like the the Florida Supreme Court doesn't understand Florida law as good as the Supreme Court does, or at least the conservatives on the Supreme Court does. And so let's just go ahead and shut down their remedy to this to this Florida state problem. Yes, I think it's like it's 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 obvious like they don't they don't really care they don't really care that like every legal vote is counted, right? The conservative I think the conservatives on this court they don't really care that every legal vote is they they don't want every legal vote to be counted. That was the whole point in the stay. Right. Is that they they stopped it immediately and then they said, oh, you ran out of time. But they let the stay hang for three days when they could have been counting. Echoes we see in 2020 is that. uh, And continuing is that the Republican Party views their best chance at winning elections, having votes, having voting access and counting of votes be narrow, limited, and more heavily regulated than the Democrats who think their best chances at winning elections are um, getting more people to vote yeah, and getting I mean, those votes counted. Which I, I think look, I don't I don't I don't absolutely despise every measure that the Republicans present. I don't think voting ID laws are evil or um, wholly without merit, I think the the fact of the matter is the reason that they're pushing them is to hope that people who would be voting against them would not have an ID, and it's seeking to limit 
the number of voters that I don't think that's, but I also don't think you need your ID to do a whole bunch of things. And I, I don't, I don't think it's, and also guess what? If you, if that does happen in certain states, the Democrats go out and get every single, uh, get you, there's voter rolls, there's, there's registration information, connect with the people who are registered Democrats and create infrastructures to get them the necessary ID. Um, and I, I, you know, this case I think reflects that there's this. I could uh, buy into that divide and different viewpoints on what, um, how elections should be handled. And I get that you know there needs to be finite determinations and deadlines or deadlines and things of that nature, um, but I mean. I think the play around the deadlines in this case is just so it's just so right. Wait, it's you, just so you, it's just so plainly bad. You have Secretary Harris in Florida refusing to extend the deadline to certify despite the election being preposterously close. Right. And the one county said that they had two hours left. Right. And she was like, nope, not no. going to happen. Then we, and it took a court order to extend it. And then you have the Supreme Court of the United States further thwarts the ability to count. And look, the canvassing boards, I have no doubt, could have functioned better, could have, um, you know, as you indicated, that one county took uh, Thanksgiving off. Um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, um, obviously, media mistakes and <laughs> mistakes were made. <laughs> but I guess, but we're also talking about everything around this case. This decision, if any law student or lawyer is out there, read this decision, specifically the procurium and even the dissent and concurrence, and read it in context of every other equal protection case that is that is taught in law school. And it's 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 almost impossible to group it within any of those in in it doesn't make any it. sense it, it doesn't make any sense if you follow the logic of this equal protection analysis like every every presidential election in the history of the united states has been a violation of, of the, the equal yeah yeah because not every vote is being treated the same even the votes that are going through the machine are being treated potentially different if there's a scanning error or if right and if like, this is true, no if this, if this like logic really holds up, why haven't we like fixed this since the 2000 election? It's 2022 now. Well, I think I think we have addressed quite a few issues with this, and the obviously the inherent issues with the type of ballot that was used in Florida, the butterfly Chad ballot, which was approved by the Democrats in, in those um, respective counties. Yeah, the butterfly. Well, that's another thing. Is like the butterfly ballot was a total nightmare. I also think it's worth noting that you know, like right after this, is uh, the next year, two thousand one, nine eleven happens. Right. And Bush has like a ninety ninety something percent approval rating. Yeah, and it's I see, and I mean, I you know, I we were both youths at the time, so I can't exactly uh, recall the. It was you know, a wee ute. The the populist zeitgeist concerning it. I have no doubt that um, there were animosities long held and uh, people decrying the legitimacy of President Bush. But I, I, as you pointed out, that 
post 9-11, it, you know, there was quite a rallying around the president's I think, administration. President I think this case might be the case that exemplifies your quote from Justice Jackson. Right. We are not final because we're infallible. We're infallible only because we are final. And right. I, I, that's like they're right. They're they're correct in this decision because there was nowhere else for for Vice President Gore to go, Candidate Gore to go. That's Ooh. it. That's it. It's correct only because it's the last stop. So, Which in this case is like it's terrible. I mean, like even you know, like when they say like the deadline of the of the safe harbor provision that they have to make this deadline. They, they don't. don't. They don't. They don't. There's, there is no, there is no mandate that any state have uh, has to meet that meet that deadline. Yeah. Right. And there's no, there's nothing in uh, in Title uh, Title Three Section Five or Title Three Section Fifteen that also talks about that um, that says that the court gets any role in deciding that. It's it's if there is an inability to figure out who the electors are. Congress gets to decide that. I so desperately tried to read this decision and align my thoughts with the conservative justices. I so desperately wanted to walk away with from this case saying I agreed with their at least internal logic or I was <laughs> like I said before, whether I was not convinced that I was I I, I would agree to disagree. It seems I don't I don't I don't I don't get this. They threw the election. Case. They threw the election to their favorite candidate. Um, and then, I, 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 because we're running pretty close to an hour, uh, I'm not going to discuss my crazy theories about the Reapportionment Act of 1929 and the the implications of the body <laughs> of precedent that is cited here. I think I think you're going to change. I think I'm going to change America try- with that. I'm going to try to change America. The, I guess maybe next week we'll just discuss that where we won't read a case. We'll just discuss this theory. And for the listeners, uh, we're, we're, if you want to participate in this insanity that uh, I'm, I'm discussing, <laughs> this the, the we're looking at Bush v. Gore, which is 531 U.S. 98 2000, volume 531, uh, page 98. So 531 U.S. 98 2000. We're looking at page 107, um, the first full paragraph there, and this is this is where we'll lead into our next week's discussion. Um, it provides an early case in our one-person, one-vote jurisprudence arose when a state accorded arbitrary and disparate treatment to voters in different counties. The court found a constitutional violation. We relied on these principles in context of presidential selection process in another case, where we invalidated a, con- a county-based procedure that diluted the influence of citizens in larger counties in the nominating process. There we observed that the idea that one group can be granted greater voting strengths than another is hostile to the one-man, one-vote basis of a representative democracy. So a little preview is that there is Supreme Court precedent cited in this case saying that where by virtue of a law, a group of citizens is granted greater voting strength than another uh, group of American citizens, 
that idea of disparate weighted votes is hostile to one man, one vote basis, and thus is unconstitutional. Um, so think, ruminate yeah. on that, read, read the case, and I'll explain why I think the Reapportionment Act of 1929 is unconstitutional. Casey, do you have any final thoughts on this case? It's just that I, I hate this case. I hate this case so much. I hate the court for taking this case. I think it's just plainly, it's just so obviously political. And I, I hate it. And then I hate that they said, also, this message self-destructs after you finish reading it. Don't ever use it as precedent. It doesn't even matter anymore. After they just like waded into uncharted territory and made like, a monumental conclusion that, you know, changed, may or may not have changed the course of American history on and the like world, the most on the and the world on like the most ridiculous arguments that just don't make sense. I hate, I hate it. That's how that's my feelings on this. I hate it. Until next time, know your rights.